why would it take two or three people? Like I do this all by myself. Like, well, yeah, but A, you're not great at any of those things. And B, you had two decades to get to the point of being able to juggle all of those balls. These people don't. It's that old saying, and there's a book on it, what got you here won't get you there. We don't need the same skill set in the next generation that got the business from zero to a million or zero to five million or whatever your number is. It's a different skill set to go from five million to 50 million. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I'll tell you that we're in for a treat today. We're down in Austin, Texas with David Grau Jr. He runs SRG Group, and that stands for some pretty important words. <laughs> David, how are you, man? I am fantastic, Jerome. Thanks for having me. Really excited to get on here. And I'd say, you know, talk shop, chop it up, but we do that anyway. But do this with the recording button turned on because it's something that you have probably gleaned it from our conversations. I know I've gleaned it from you. This is stuff that gets us pretty excited. So we'll try to keep the audio levels normal here today. Man, I don't know. We probably need to spike some of these things so people have <laughs> to move their uh, audio button up and down. What I will tell you, though, is to get your notepad out because there are going to be some things shared here today that are going to be game changing for you, especially as it comes to you thinking about the end of the relationship that you have with your business. So, David, with that said, let's go to what does SRG stand for? So I'll give you the literal explanation and then the figurative one. So literal, yeah, Succession Resource Group, that is the name of the company, but it's also, it's our modus operandi. I mean, for us, what is SRG? What is Succession Resource Group? It is Succession Resource Group for sure, but it is, it's about helping folks create businesses that are sustainable enterprises, that they can exist someday without the owner because... I mean, I don't care what line of business you're in, big business, small business, early stage of your career in the back nine or about to retire on death's door. It doesn't matter. The one thing we've all got in common as business owners listening is we're all leaving our respective industries. I mean, horizontally or vertically, you and I both know what's coming, you know, for you and I, Jerome and everybody else. And so if we know that's the inevitable outcome, and, and if we are even remotely passionate about what we do and the people we help. The best way that we can help them is by being able to create something that can exist someday without us. Cause it, it sucks. And I, you know, I come from Portland, Oregon, tons of small businesses there and, you know, killed mostly by the pandemic. That kind of stuff sucks when you see these amazing small businesses that are contributing to their communities. Everybody loves them. And then one day they're gone. So succession resource group is about trying to check that box so that those businesses don't go anywhere. Do you know how many businesses actually have a succession plan? Like percentage wise, we, I mean, we do surveys, we talk to folks. I mean, I would say statistically, you can safely say industry agnostic, it's less than 10% of businesses. 
the hard part about answering is, you know, well, you got to first unpack what exactly we're defining as a succession plan, you know, and I'll be loose with my definition. I'm not even talking about like the amazing things we deliver here as in like a written plan, a pile of contracts and amazing spreadsheets. If we just go back to the core of it, having a plan, like an idea of what we're going to do to be able to exit the business on our terms, make sure the clients keep getting service, like just by that loose definition, I would still say it's sub 10%, which that's scary considering 100% of these businesses at some point will, they will turn over. They will experience a transition. 100% One way or the other. of the businesses will experience a transition. Now you slipped it in. You didn't emphasize it. So I'm emphasizing. You said exit on your terms. Yeah. Right. What do you mean? Because don't we always? <laughs> we tell ourselves that we do. But I would tell you, if you could be, if you could be premeditated and you ask business owners five years, 10 years, 20 years before they're ready to exit, what does your ideal exit look like? I mean, half of them would tell you, oh, it's, you know, it's bringing my kids in the business, training them up, getting them ready to take it over. Like it's exiting on their terms is dependent on when you ask them. If you ask them six to 12 months before they're ready to retire and they don't have a plan, I'm now exiting on my terms. As in, I picked from the one or two options that were left to me as a result of my lack of engagement in this topic over the last five and 10 and 20 years. And that's the crappy part about succession planning is it's not something that you or I, Jerome, can talk about. People listen to it and think, oh, great, well, I'll just go do that then. I mean, you can, and I would certainly encourage everyone listening to engage in this subject more proactively, but it takes years. I mean, succession planning, when I first started doing this back in the early, early 2000s, I mean, we called it succession planning, but there wasn't much emphasis on like the P part, the planning part of it. It was, it was succession as in helping people exit because there was an immediate need for it because there just wasn't a lot of people helping with it. But if you start looking at the actual planning element of succession planning, you start realizing that, all right, succession planning is not an event at the end of a career. It's not even a series of events, which is how we started to kind of redefine it, that, oh, it's, you know, it's the events leading up to your exit. Succession planning is a mindset. It is something that you begin with. It's something you can adopt along the way. It's about creating a business that can someday exist without you. That's Creating it. a business that could someday live without you. But I'm the most important piece of the business. I'm the most valuable part of the business. What do you mean it would exist without me? Right? And I, you know, I thought initially it was just going to be Dave and Jerome. I didn't realize Jerome's ego was going to show up. <laughs> but to your point, I mean, and we, we're all guilty of that as business owners because to some degree, whether we acknowledge it or not, like, you know, your example of, well, you know, it's, it's my business. I'm the star of it. Like, whether you're willing to admit that or not, for most of us as small business owners, that is 100% the truth. Business starts and stops with you. If we drop the cone of silence over you, those that even get the reference nowadays, we dropped the cone of silence over you and left you locked away for six months with enough food to come back out the other side. Most businesses in all just narrow to the U.S. to start with, they would not exist anymore. Or it certainly wouldn't exist in the form that we'd left it in. And we would be very concerned by like month one or two as we're looking out through the locked in scenario here and saying, well, shoot, I don't know how the business is doing. Like having an answer to succession planning about mentoring and training and preparing the next generation, acknowledging that someday you won't be here. Those that do that, when you get locked away in that cone of silence for the six months, 
you're not worried about what you come back to. You know what you're going to come back to. The business is going to look strikingly similar to what you left six months ago. In fact, it might have done better without you in some cases because once you get to the point of the business not needing you, now you get to be the CEO. You get to be kind of disruptive to the business, which it needs every now and again, but it's disruptive nonetheless. So in the scenario where you get locked away, like that's just six months of steady sailing for the business. But my worry is for, for most businesses, they couldn't leave their business alone for six months. Shoot, you're good about this. Think about being able to take a two-week vacation to Europe. You take your email off of your phone. You leave your laptop in the office. Like, If you're not worried about that, then you have probably done succession planning right. But everybody out there is saying, oh, shoot. <laughs> because yeah. I can't do that. Because I'm checking emails at night. I'm the first one in the office to prove everybody that I work harder than them. And this is what I've been programmed to do. At what point did you either witness that there was another way or you decided that, you know, there was going to be another way for your company and the companies that you guys serve? It's funny because I think it's similar to your journey, Jerome, that, you know, we didn't all necessarily start out as business owners with this amazing idea from day one of what we're going to go build and just do that right out of college. Like there's folks who do it and more power to them. But I had, you know, similar journey to you where I, you know, left and I took a job and worked in a business that was, you know, actually doing something similar to what I do now. But then you get to a point where some inflection point, you know, could be, you know, management just finally breaks you, spouse gives you enough inspiration to go do this. You've got the motivation and idea. I don't care what the inflection point is. For me, it was spotting the opportunity to go sort of erase the whiteboard. And if I could start over, how would I do the same thing that I've been doing that I love doing? I love working with small business owners. How would I do it differently? Well, I would do it like the clients that I have seen that are the few that have sort of gotten to the top of the mountain and they're heading back down, getting ready for their next mountain. And so when I had a chance to start the business, I, I was very intentional that I would work to make myself irrelevant from a client perspective as soon as possible. And I would tell you, man, it took the better part of eight or nine years of intentional focus. But when you have a focus on creating a business that doesn't need you, you hire differently. You train differently. You do everything a little bit differently. And it's not something like, oh, shoot, if you're listening to this, like, well, I didn't start with that mindset, but sounds like a great idea. I wish I had. You can change anywhere along the way and work to start making yourself irrelevant. I mean, when you and I were chatting before we you know, hit the record button today, Jerome, I told you it's, I equate this, frankly, even in corporate America to like that great manager that we've all probably had or heard about where all they wanted you to do, they wanted to train and mentor you to a point where you could take their job because they weren't worried about their job. They knew what their next mountain was, but they couldn't do that until they replaced themselves. Those are powerful people, and, and that's frankly what, what I want every business owner to aspire to do because the cool thing is if you get there, you'll never, I mean, you'll look back on it fondly, but you'll never look back wanting to go back to that old model where, you know, there are some times where I, and I told you, I dipped my toe back into the consulting space, but it gets harder and harder because when you bring people in and you go from being a generalist as an owner who can do everything. Right. To your point, paper gets jammed in the copier, I can fix it. 
phone rings, I can answer it. Yeah. You need to get the CRM set up. I'll figure it out. I can, and I will do everything. And, and you do, but it doesn't mean you're great at any of those things as my staff will tell me, <laughs> but you do get to a point where then you start to bring people in and I'd always heard like, oh, the best thing you can do is hire people who are smarter than you and get out of their way. That sounds great. And, and it is until you actually see it happen. And boy, is that a blow to your ego. But if you are true to your word, you know, for me, that is delivering an amazing experience to our clients and giving them best in class advice, solutions and resources. I couldn't as a fiduciary say that I was doing that as both a business owner and consultant at the same time. Like there's only so many hours in the week and you and I both know like, yeah, you're a business owner. Beauty of being a business owner, you get to work any 18 hours a day you want, but there's still only so many hours in the day. Well, now all of a sudden you fast forward to where we are and now our consulting teams, all they do every day of the week, 52 weeks a year, 51, we take the you know, Christmas holiday off, is eat, sleep, and breathe their respective portion of our solution set. That's all they do. They don't worry about the P&L. They don't worry about marketing. They don't worry about anything else besides supporting our clients. And incidentally, then all of a sudden as a client, as fondly as they would look back on their consulting experience with me in years prior, the level of expertise has been turned up. And not that I couldn't have gotten there, but I couldn't have gotten there. Because I have all these other things that I have to do as a business owner. It's interesting. You are very clear about the fact that expertise and specialization matters. Yeah. And so have you seen people go into that space of getting kind of a generalist to help them figure out succession planning and it not working out well? Yeah. I mean, the hard part is the generalist is still, I mean, I would look back on the advice and the resources that I delivered, you know, 10, 20 years ago, and it was still good, but I compare it to where we are now. And it's like, well, hmm. by comparison, it's not as good as it could have been, but the generalist is still capable of delivering a really nice boutique experience. It just isn't scalable. And, and it will frankly you eventually will lose market share to the firm that is focused on growth and scaling and increasing their level of expertise. Because as the generalist, again, there's only so many hours in the day. And you don't know this about me, but I am a huge basketball fan, for example. And so my team knows everything comes back to sort of the NBA and my basketball analogies, as annoying as I'm sure they get. And I've got friends that will talk basketball with me like, oh, you know, why doesn't that big man you learn to shoot from the outside? Why doesn't the inside guy learn to drive? Because he spends every waking moment practicing that shot. There's a reason why Steph Curry doesn't post people up, but he's the greatest three-point shooter in NBA history, probably the world, because all he does now is eat, sleep, and breathe that one area. And he's amazing at it. I bring that same analogy to the business world. Could you be an all-around generalist? Yeah. Is there a spot for that? Yeah, you bet. Even in the NBA, there are those generalists that every team needs. But then there's the folks you remember. And those are the specialists. Those are the impactful ones. Yeah, those are the ones that are going to be legendary. And right. so the question is, do you want to create a legacy plan, a succession plan with somebody who does everything or somebody who knows all the ins and outs and has the experience that of doing this over and over again and seeing what works and what doesn't work to help you make that progress. Now, some people call exit a curse word. 
right? The thought of yeah. leaving behind or exiting their business or being pushed out of their business isn't a thing. I was in a mastermind with Damon John. He was talking about people doing a capital call to get somebody out of the <laughs> business and some of these hostile takeovers. And this is trying to emphasize the point of exiting on your own terms that you mentioned early on. What does it truly mean to exit? Right. Cause we've told them that the relationship's going right. to end and they're like, yeah, right. There's no business without me. Okay, great. What, what does it actually mean to exit? And we talk about our a exit framework, right? Right. But you as a successor, I mean, you said early 2000s. So, I mean, there's two decades of experience plus whatever you glean from other people who've been doing it before you in the industry. What does it mean to have a successful exit? So you certainly help round out this answer, which is why I love talking to you about it, because we try to sort of stay in our lane. But from the lane that we are in, the perspective that we approach this work with, it is, number one, ensuring that the business can continue. Like That is a big part of the exit. If you leave and the house is on fire, well, you got out, congratulations, but you didn't leave anything behind. So that, to me, isn't necessarily an exit. So for the exit, to work, to be successful, the business has to continue. And that might not be internal succession planning with this amazing team you built and mentored. Because I'll tell you that it's a lot of work. <laughs> Look, you go from managing client relationships to managing people who manage client relationships. And we're not all cut out for that, frankly. So it might be a merger with a peer. It might be a sale to a peer. It might be giving the business to your son or daughter. I don't care who it is, but it's about the continuance of the delivery of that service or that product or whatever it is that you have built and delivered to your respective communities. It's also a monetization event for the founder. Like you should be able to get value out of the business. Now, again, what you do with that value, shit, I don't care. Go work with Jerome, give the money away, reinvest it in your next business adventure, but don't be ashamed at extracting value from a decade, two decades, three decades of pouring your blood, sweat, and tears, your soul into this business. Now, to be successful, you know, you probably need Jerome to help you decouple yourself from all those things because the business becomes kind of your alternative ego. But it is about being able to have that monetization event, get paid however much you want to get paid. I don't care about that part. That I will leave up to the owner and founder. Because again, if you're going to transfer it to your kids, you're probably not trying to squeeze the blood out of the rock. Like, we want a fair value for it. We don't want to create tension with the other siblings, for example. But it is about, I think, getting value out of the business and ensuring that the business can continue at your exit. That's it. Is it likely that you don't have the liquidity event if you don't have a succession plan? That one, I feel like, varies by industry. So you take some industries, CPAs, financial advisors, I don't care, pest control companies. Like There are enough of them. But there's generally a ready and willing market so that if you fail to plan, it may not be the best exit in terms of like the best client experience after you've left or the most value for you. But there's a consolidation event. There are folks out there who would love to take your business and your clientele over that you spent a decade or two building and, and pay you for that time and trouble. So, I mean, I've had. Friends, even I've got one in Portland that I help work with on his succession plan to take it over in like a machinist tool shop, like not a lot of those, but there is still a market out there. That's the hard part, though, is there's a lot of unique niche businesses that there aren't 
hundreds of them around the country, let alone in the respective market. And so then for those, a failure to plan can mean there is no succession plan. And then when they do leave, the business shuts down. And that's the stuff when it provides a valuable service or solution. That's the stuff that I hate to see. And it's why we do what we do, frankly, on succession planning is to try to help avoid that happening. And it's even worse when it happens to people. If you acknowledge it, say, you know what? I have a great lifestyle business. I don't want to train or mentor anybody. And when I leave, the business dies with me and I'm okay with that. Fine. But the problem is it's not usually that premeditated. Huh. This is so interesting because what you just described sounds so selfish, right? It, it just sounds like the most selfish thing that can be done. Yeah. Yes, lifestyle business. I don't care about anybody else and I definitely don't care about my clients. And so when I'm done, it's done. Right. And that is the beginning and the end of this conversation. Thank you very much and goodbye. Now, maybe I'm being a little dramatic, but I mean, at the end of the day, that's pretty much what that boils down to. Right. And so you're going to dedicate for some people 60 hours a week for three or four decades to only leave it to end when you aren't a part of it anymore. That hardly yeah. seems like a worthy pursuit. And I, um, I think it's kind of a reaction. It's not something like you would never ask a business owner who loved their business and the clients that they serviced or provided products to five, 10 years before they would ever have their exit event. Would you want to just sort of retire through attrition, just work less and less and eventually just put the clothes, sign up and don't come back on Monday? Like no one's going to say that. Yeah, that, that's my succession plan. Like. Sign me up for that proactively 10 years from now. Like that's where I aspire to get to, but they don't think about this stuff. They don't get to listen to these kinds of podcasts. They they're focused on running their business and they're focused on their family or personal life or hobbies, which I commend them for having. But again, you don't always know when your, your exit event is when you'll hang that closed sign and not show back up again on Monday. Like that could be you just deciding that. I'm not going to show up again on Monday because I'm tired and I don't want to do this anymore. It could be a health event. It could be a health event of your spouse that takes you out of the business or your kids, a regulatory change. There's so many outside factors that you have absolutely no control over that it's why we, I wouldn't say do what we do because what we do is very specific. Like we help people provide solutions. We do the contracts, the spreadsheets, the strategies. But I don't get up on the main stage and talk about contracts and spreadsheets and strategy. You'd be all asleep before I got halfway into the presentation. As amazing as it is, again, this is the stuff we love. But we get up there and we talk about the things that we need to be doing as business owners to start getting people to think about succession planning. Again, the whole goal is just to get the gears turning. And we'll go to these conferences and I'll see the same people that I talked to last year. And they came up and say, you know, great presentation. Love the idea. I'm definitely going to start making some progress on it this year. I'm like, you said that last year. <laughs> but once a year, they're starting to think about it. And that's at least progress because these things take time. They need to be percolating. That As you go and you do your next hire, you think, you know what? Does this person, like with mentoring and training, can I picture this person five and 10 years making me obsolete? If the answer is no, but you know you got five or 10 years left, well, you might interview a few more candidates. But again, we got to be thinking about this stuff much further in advance than we think we need to. Like we have those conversations all the time, Jerome, where people are calling us saying, hey, 
I'm trying to start planning for my succession retirement and I've got pretty good processes and good people, but I don't have any successors built in yet. I'm thinking, okay, this is, we're on the right track. They say, I'd like to be done by maybe middle to the end of 2024. How can you help? Well, short of us sitting down together and figuring out how we diagram a time machine, like I can't help you because to do succession planning right, assuming that you don't have a safety net in your industry where there's just a pool of buyers lining up to buy your business, which could be the case, we need a longer runway. It's dependent on the size of the plane, the size of the business. It's a you know two or three person operation. They don't need a huge runway. You probably just need a year or two. But if we've got 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 people, we might need a couple of years to land this plane. Because the whole goal is that succession planning happens so gradually. Your clients, your customers, whatever you call them, they almost don't even know it's happening. Like that's succession planning done right. But that you gotta be proactive to make that work. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. Wait, so I can't just decide I'm going to sell it six months from now and you do all the stuff? I mean, it's funny because we do a lot of that work, again, in industries where there are buyers lined up that are interested in consolidating, growing market share, adding new services, but same thing. Like if I asked you five years ago as the business owner, would you ever want to run your business like you have, and then one day pick the phone up for whatever reason, call us, we list your business for sale, we find you buyers, you interview those buyers, you transition over six months and you exit. Like it sounds kind of sudden when you describe it that way, but that is the exit strategy that we help dozens of business owners with every single year and we'll continue to do it. But if you compare that to, even if you still didn't have the internal team, but you were more proactive and premeditated with it. And yeah, you did sell your business to somebody else in your community. And then you were there on a part-time basis for three or four or five years to help train and mentor. Like, again, you can still get to a point where it's gradual, it's proactive, and it is so smooth that the clients in that relationship isn't disrupted. Or we could just pull the ripcord, jump out, and hope we land. You, the way you present it, it just feels so irresponsible. <laughs> I mean, it seems like the only it. choice, well, obviously you would do a succession plan. And again, my hope is that, yeah, if, if we could fast forward and look at the future state as a result of the work you do, that we do talking about this stuff is that everybody, when you ask them like, oh, what's your succession plan? Like every baby boomer listening to this, and there's a lot of them out there that are business owners, they all have some idea of what their exit's going to look like. But it's crazy when you, you know, we go to these small business owner meetings and conferences and you ask these folks, and even the ones who say they have a plan, 
if you could get a cocktail or two in them and have them describe their plan, you'd be sitting there with a blank notepad waiting to write something tangible down because they have been, they have an idea maybe, but we need to be again, just a little bit more proactive. And one thing is when you start getting proactive with it and you, you get over the point of the business existing solely because of you, that is, and I don't know if you've had clients that have been through this. I know I've been through it personally and I've had a lot of clients. It's probably one of the hardest transitions and almost an exit, if you will, of leaving being the owner practitioner to being the CEO. Like that's super uncomfortable, whether it takes you six months, 18 months, like as a business owner, you start from day one and you figure it out and you get pretty good at it. And then you have this transition of like, well, now I have to be the CEO. What exactly does a CEO do? Like. I haven't had any training for that. Like I know how to build my product or deliver my service. Like that I can do. I can even train or mentor people and I've done it. And then you end up with this awkward transition period of like, all right, well now I've got free time. What do I do with it? Huh? But you give it six months, 12 months. And all of a sudden you're looking back on it and you're like, A, I don't have any more free time. B, who was doing this stuff before? Because it's consuming 40, 50 hours of my week now. And I was... I didn't have 40 or 50 hours to give to it before. Well, it just wasn't getting done or not to the level that you're now doing it at, which is why you can now take your business to the next level. Yeah. It's like, where did all my extra time go? You <laughs> filled it with things that needed to be happening right. to advance the business that weren't happening. Man. So I suspect the listeners are out there and are like, okay, I got it. I need a succession plan. I don't even really know what that is, but I do know that I need one. And yeah, I get the concept of the business continues after I leave the business. I got that. And you said something about contracts and spreadsheets and yep. some other things, right? There's probably an org chart there somewhere. Yep. But do th is there things that they can do to get started before they engage with somebody to help them professionally? Like, I imagine if somebody comes to you and they're like, they're just kind of holding their hands out or up that there's not a whole lot you can do for them. They probably should have some vision or some idea. What should they be thinking about when crafting that? I would say the initial fork in the road is, is decide what you want to build. Decide what it is you want to leave behind. And by that, I'll give the initial kind of fork in the road. And it'll sound like there's maybe three, but there's really only two because you don't want to get stuck in the middle in anything in business. You can build the lifestyle business that is, it's simple, it's lean, it's mean. There's not a lot of complexity. We're not trying to take over the world here, but we will be super efficient in what we do. Like there will be no fat. We're not trying to grow and own our market, but we are going to try to do a really good job with the resources we have. And I don't want to be a CEO or you build the enterprise. I want to build a business that someday can and will exist without me. Now, whether that's because you want to leave a legacy behind, get a duffel bag full of cash on the way out the door and the gold watch, I don't care as to the why, but I do care about being proactive and making that choice. And the problem is there are the folks who have the lifestyle business and we can plan for that exit. There are the folks who build the enterprise and we can plan for that one too, although you almost don't even have to just by virtue of building the enterprise that can exist without you. Succession planning almost starts to happen by default. No, we'll still come in, put form and structure around it with spreadsheets and contracts, but 
all of the pieces are on the proverbial chessboard. My biggest issue is the folks who get stuck in the middle. Like they grew out of the simple lean, mean lifestyle business where they were kind of a sole practitioner and they loved life. They had a great work-life balance, but they don't have the grandiose business plan or aspirations to go build the enterprise or the know-how necessarily or the work ethic. Again, I don't care the reasons, but they get stuck in the middle. They don't get big enough to have the succession opportunities the enterprise has, but they've outgrown the simplicity and the profitability and the enjoyment of the lifestyle business. And they just get stuck in this weird, awkward middle zone where they aren't, they're not enjoying it. Yeah. That's that one to three million range where it's uh -huh. never, never land. Right. <laughs> you just feel like you can never get everything done. There's too much to do. And, and you will hit that point. And then, you know, just like a, you know, a good night on the town, you have that second or third beer, you need to decide, am I shutting it down and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and go for a nice run? Or am I going deep? Am I all in? I'm going to have a good time tonight. Like you got to have that same mindset when it comes to running the business. Like, do I want to build the enterprise? It will have its trials and tribulations. You'll have days where it feels like you're running an adult daycare. I promise you. Or do I, I don't want to manage anybody. I will have a lifestyle business and I will enjoy my life and I will do it on my terms. Yes. When I take the two week vacation to Europe, client service may not happen, but I don't have enough clients and I have a deep enough relationship with a few clients. I do have that they're okay with not having me for two weeks. You get to that one, two, three million in revenue. And you've started to get to a point where you have clients who are not as closely connected with you. You can't take the two or three week vacation now. Like it just, and you can never quite get off that hamster wheel. So that's the part that kills me. So as I think about succession planning and like, where do you get started? Well, it's actually even earlier than that. It's what are you trying to build? Don't get stuck in the middle. That sucks. Yeah. The messy middle. Right. <laughs> never, never land. So you choose what you're going to build. And so they're on the path of building it. And then that changes what the actual succession plan needs to look like, yep. because it's the difference between having one or two employees or having 20 plus. Yeah. And that then determines who they need to actually engage. And so let's kind of go down the path of what it looks like. So people come in and maybe we're just talking about the things that just shock people. I think we already got the amount of time, like the duration that a good plan being executed takes is probably something that would shock somebody. Maybe what, what's one or two other things that would maybe surprise somebody who hasn't been down this path or watch somebody go down this path as they go on the journey of succession planning? I, I think the other one that most folks are surprised by, unless they have already been through it just organically, is... The ratio of successors to founders. Like I, you know, I use the example of my uh, buddy in Portland that took over the machinist shop. Like that was a one-to-one -one scenario. Again, same thing. It was a lean, mean lifestyle business. They were well-known in the area, but it was a nice kind of boutique operation. He mentored and trained my buddy, Eric, and then Eric bought it and took it over. Like, could this guy have, you know, auctioned it off and sold to somebody else or created a really big business and enterprise with lots of successors? Sure. He did not want that. He did not build that. He had a very efficient business. He transitioned it into had it taken over by my buddy, Eric, who did a great job with it and is still running it to this day. However, 
if you start to embark on creating a, a business and enterprise that can exist without you someday, and even the lifestyle business, you generally need two to three successors or Gen 2 folks, Gen 3 folks for every Gen 1 founder. And I say that from the perspective of, I mean, all of us know listening as business owners, you start by juggling one ball, get clients. I get clients. I'm in business now. I got one ball. I can handle juggling one ball. And then, you know what? I'm trying to take care of the clients that I brought on while also prospecting. And so you know, I now need to do marketing and client service. I can do both those things. I can juggle two balls. And then shoot, now the phone rings. I'm out of hands. So I'm going to hire somebody because I got clients now and I'm still prospecting. I know where my revenue is probably going. So I'll hire somebody to answer the phone. And now I got to manage that person. I got three balls. You fast forward 10 or 20 years in business. You don't even realize it. And over the course of any given year, you're juggling 20 or 30 balls. And then they have this idea that, well, I'm going to have, I'm going to have this person come take the business over and I'm going to hand them 20 or 30 balls. And then we're surprised when they drop half of them on the floor. Well, if I started out by telling you, Hey, you want to start a business? Here's 30 balls. Start juggling them. You'd be like, I can't juggle 30 balls. You can't. Can you juggle one? Yeah. All right. Well, here's the second one. Oh, shoot. Okay. Well, I dropped it a couple of times, but now I got two balls. And you get three, and then you get four, and then you get five. It's over that period of time that you get the ability to juggle 30 balls. Well, turns out juggling 30 balls isn't as easy as we thought. And so when we have these successors take over, it's a lot easier to give three people 10 balls. They drop a whole lot less of them. So it's been interesting to watch You know, the folks that have the most success with succession, where it almost feels like a cheat code where Gen 2 gets all the benefits of all the work of Gen 1. They get all the credit and they take the business to the next level. It's when you took and you took the generalist who's juggling 30 balls and you divide their job out to two or three people who are really good at doing a couple of things instead of being pretty good at everything that you used to do. Yeah. Also, trying to hire for that. Imagine trying to hire for somebody that you're going to bring in and I want you to be able to balance the budget, look at the P&L, deliver the client service, the product. I mean, it's just, it's, and do marketing and do sales and do technology. Like it's too much. Yeah. You end up having to bring that person in and mentor and train them over 10 or 20 years. Well, if we don't have that kind of time, then I got to hire. Well, you're not going to hire somebody that can do all those things. You're going to be looking for a really long time because you're doing what most of our clients do. And that is when they list their practice with us and they're trying to find a buyer. They're basically just looking for themselves just 20 years ago. Unfortunately, that person doesn't generally exist. 100%. But we can find pieces of the things you are amazing at in two or three people and build a really cool team. But that's something that I don't think most folks, when they've lived it or when you say it to them, it doesn't come as like a major revelation, but it definitely wasn't on their radar. Right. They, they weren't considering that as one of the complications of executing right. the transaction. Like, yeah, why would it take two or three people? Like, I do this all by myself. Like, well, yeah, but A, you're not great at any of those things. And B, you had two decades to get to the point of being able to juggle all of those balls. These people don't. It's that old saying, and there's a book on it, what got you here won't get you there. We don't need the same skill set in the next generation that got the business from zero to a million or zero to five million or whatever your number is. It's a different skill set to go from five million to 50 million. Very different skill set. And 
it's going to require a different focus too, which I think most mm-hmm. people just totally miss out on the fact that right. focus changes and there's no such thing as balance. I think any entrepreneur is going to get that probably after the first week of being chief everything officer. But right. on the backside, when things become a little more less stressful and a little more, I'll call it easy or more comfortable, they forget what they went through in order to get there. And so going back to that can be a real challenge for them. And as we wrap this thing up, man, I love to ask two questions. The first one, who else do you think should come on to the Dreamcatchers podcast and talk about exits, whether they had a big exit or they help people with their exits? I think it would be one of those folks who they have lived through that transition of going from the owner operator to being the CEO. They're on the other side of it because that is, it's an uncomfortable area that I think a lot of us as business owners, either A, don't think we could ever get there or B, we don't want to get there because again, I'm really good at doing the client service or delivering the product or developing the product, whatever it is that you do that's the lifeblood of your business. They don't aspire to be the CEO, but not, I think it's the same thing as the exit. Like, oh, they don't aspire to exit. Well, it's mostly because they don't know what's on the other side of that door, which is stuff that you work on and talk about. I think that CEO transition would unlock a lot of these businesses, make our job infinitely easier on succession planning. But I think it would be somebody like that. And my guess is you probably know a few of those people, but to make the focus be on on getting over that that chasm, because... It's not easy. I think it's scary for a lot of people, but I don't want to blow it out of proportion, but as a business owner, it's kind of the promised land on the other side. Like it is the inflection point where the business now has the opportunity to exist without you. It becomes scalable. And again, you said it best, like to not do that almost feels a little selfish. And as, as your customers in your respective markets, as your clients, you deliver services to. If you believe in what you deliver, you have to do this or the business will die with you. And that sucks. I hate seeing that. So I think it would be that inflection point. And I'm happy to make some introductions, but I've listened to your podcast. You've dealt with these people. That just wasn't the focus. But I think that as a focal point leads them up to then the exit door and the planning work that you do. And I think it unlocks a lot of value figuratively and literally. Yeah. We'd love to talk to some of the folks that you think have done that with excellence because most people feel like they kind of stumbled through it or kind of. And we do 100%. It's messy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the process is because there's in a lot of ways, a lot of chaos that has to be organized in order for it to work, but there's a process that people go through. And each time that they get bigger, I think that they have to go back through that because many times you see founders going back into the fire after they got to that place and to take the place, take the organization to that next level. So that's perfect. We'd love to talk to anybody who you think has done that. You let me off too easy there, Jerome. I didn't give you a name. You got to push harder. Oh, well, you know, (laughs) you've demonstrated your character and your ability. You saying that you'll introduce me is plenty. Uh, I, I know who you are. Well, frankly, I mean, I think our mutual friend, Matt Holleran, is a great example of it. There's an, a financial advisor I know who would be happy to get you connected with, John Cut, up in New York. And he's been, and, and I had the opportunity to work with him when I first started 20 years ago, and he was an owner-operator and a really darn good one. 
Right. And I see where he's at now, and he is very much the CEO. He's been through that, I mean, trial by fire in many cases, but he's come out the other side. And frankly, his business would not be where it is today if he hadn't made that hard transition. And I, frankly, I know he struggles with it like I do, where I like the client service. I don't always like being a CEO, but when you start seeing what you can do with your free time as a CEO, you start realizing, man... It's a disservice for me to go back and sit in the seat as a practitioner at this point. There's a higher and better use of my time. So be happy to get you guys connected, but I think he would be a great person to talk to. And I mean, he sits in the seat as a financial advisor, but I don't care what his discipline or service he delivers happens to be. The transition and that inflection point, it's the same for all of us. It is. And it's a deliberate decision. People just kind of skipping their way through or feeling their way through don't have success because you have to achieve escape velocity. And the cool thing is when you screw it up, I mean, it's like that, you know, reach for the stars. Like, well, if you aspire to create the enterprise and create a business that doesn't need you, if you fail, you have still built a business that is more valuable, is more sustainable. Somebody's going to want to take it over a lot more than what you had 10 years ago. So even the consolation prize is not terrible. Well, yeah, it's funny. In my high school yearbook, they asked me for a quote and I said, shoot for the stars or shoot for the moon. I can't remember which one is, which one's further away. And, you know, you'll still land among the stars or you still land right? on the moon or something like yeah. that. And this is exactly that. And then the final question I love to wrap up the podcast with is, what do you want the listeners to take away from the episode if they missed everything else? Because we're here at the end. We've covered a whole lot of ground. What's that one nugget that we need to make sure they get? Be selfish. You deserve a payday. If you don't care about the payday and the exit event, put your spouse on the phone. If your spouse doesn't care because you guys have done well enough, put your favorite charity on the phone. Like You deserve to get the value out of the business that you have built, which means you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your clients, your customers to honor that relationship and to build something that can continue to deliver on that. And if you don't care enough to do that, then bring somebody in to run the business who does, because you'll never be as successful as you could be if you were truly passionate about what you do. And if you're truly passionate about what you do, then you couldn't envision a scenario where you or somebody isn't delivering on that service or that good to your respective community, to your clients. So I think that's probably the biggest one is, is be selfish. But again, as part of being selfish, we sort of have to almost be selfless and create something that can exist without us. And it does, to your point, you mentioned earlier, like it takes a lot longer than you think. It's not hard, but it does require consistent application, kind of like marketing. Like you can't just ramp up marketing all of a sudden and expect an amazing result. Like it's got to percolate for a while and succession's the same way. So I also say just start before you think you need to. That's a beautiful thing. Guys, quit procrastinating. <laughs> Take some action today. Figure out where you are. Figure out where you want to go and then get some support. David, if they want to learn more about SRG, where do they go? You can find a lot of our information on the website, which is successionresource.com. We even have our chat window on there, which is, I mean, it's a chat bot technically when we're offline, but during business hours, you can actually chat with our team directly. They'll get you connected with folks. We are subject matter experts. And so we freely share our information. That's part of why I love talking to you, Jerome, because you're, you're kind of of the same mindset. 
and I don't know about you, but I struggle with it. Like I, I have to proactively focus on that abundance mentality, not the scarcity where I try to protect and keep all my stuff. But you'll see on the website to get back to your original question, we share a lot of our information. We'll share our data. We'll share our resources, our white papers, because if you're going to take that stuff and go try to figure it out on your own, you were probably going to do that anyway. I would just rather you have the information and go do a better job of it. And for everybody else, they're going to read it and realize that, again, back to your highest and best use of time, it's not figuring out how to value your business or do succession planning. But I can plant the seed and I can have that white paper live on your desk. So go check out the website. That's a great place to start. I'd say, I say social media, but we don't really, we do stuff on Facebook and Instagram, but it's mostly all LinkedIn because we're B2B, we're business owners. So hit us up on LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow me there, message me there. Again, same thing. We're pretty prolific in just pushing out our content. So. Website, social media, or call the call the phone number on the website. We're happy to chat. Always. Successionresource.com. You got it. There it is. To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.